Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What's even more shocking and sobering is that we have found through studies that little girls as young as six are starting to express a desire to lose weight. You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 184. Welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. I am your host, Dr. Yami, board certified pediatrician, certified lifestyle medicine physician, certified health and wellness coach, author, speaker, mother, wife, and human being. I passionately believe in the power of diet, habits, and mindset in sparking and sustaining well-being and joy in our lives. This podcast combines expert interviews and thoughtful monologues to explore plant-based nutrition, lifestyle medicine, parenting, mindset, and other exciting and fun topics. I hope that these episodes inspire you, uplift you, and equip you with the knowledge and tools to live your best life. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. Welcome back, veggie lovers. I hope you had a fantastic Thanksgiving day. We had an amazing Thanksgiving day over here. My whole family, me, my two sons, and my husband all went and did the turkey trot here in town. And we wore cute, veganized Thanksgiving shirts. And that was really cool. And I actually finished in a little over 30 minutes, which is a big deal for me because in the past, I was really big into running. I've done, I think, 13 half marathons, two full marathons, and I got injured and I had to stop running altogether. It's been several years since my last race, and I didn't know if I was going to be able to run again in any significant distance. So I felt really strong. I felt really good, and I'm hoping that I can continue to run and race and increase my distances, and it's my dream that someday... I'll be able to complete a half marathon with my son. A lot of my running I actually did with my mom and the first full marathon we did for her 60th birthday, which was super cool to do that with my mom. So I wanna be able to do it with my son. He is significantly faster than me. He's a junior in high school and he does cross country and track. So yesterday he finished in under 20 minutes I finished in a little over 30 minutes and I was really proud of myself. And of course, I'm very proud of him, but he is definitely our fastest runner in the Lancaster family right now. So how did the Thanksgiving meal go for you? It was great for us. I did a good amount of cooking, but it didn't feel exhausting. I had some help. We really enjoyed it. And I was most impressed by Drina Burton's crazy brownies. I hadn't made that recipe before. 
It is so good. Oh my gosh. It has beans and potatoes and dates and cocoa powder. And I use peanut butter for the fat piece of it. My gosh, amazing, delicious, so good. I will definitely be making those again next weekend when I have a Friendsgiving event here at my house. You should really try. It's available online. I also put a link in my newsletter on Wednesday and you should be able to find it. Just look up Drina Burton Crazy Brownies and they're on her website. Okay, I wanna talk about dieting. And the reason I want to talk about this, and I've talked about it a lot, if you've read my book, A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy, I talk about my journey in there and how I used to be a recurrent yo-yo dieter, had some disordered eating and all of that. But I know that for those of us that struggle with our body image, those of us that struggle with yo-yo dieting and all or nothing approaches to eating, the holidays can be really tough and really triggering. And I remember the cycle I would go through every single year of overeating, feeling bad about it, starting a super restrictive diet the next day, and then of course, overeating and binging again because of the restriction. So in this episode, I want to explore this concept of dieting because one of the concepts I've been thinking about and turning over in my head is this concept of informed consent for calorie-restricted diets, not just because I'm a physician and I give advice to patients and families, but for ourselves. Before we embark on a calorie restriction journey for whatever reason, I want you to really think about what the consequences could be and whether you are willing to accept those consequences. So how do I define dieting is deliberately restricting your diet for the purpose of weight loss, to change the size and weight of your body. And it can be associated with many risks. Other episodes that you may be interested in listening to after you've listened to this one is episode number 167, 171, and 172. And in those episodes, I talk about more intuitive eating and dieting and all of those concepts. So there's gonna be a lot of similar concepts that I discuss on this episode, but I wanna delve a little deeper into the, some of the effects, some of the adverse effects that dieting can have. But before we get to that, let's talk about why people choose to diet in the first place. There's two main reasons here in the United States. Number one is because of diet culture. So what does diet culture do? Diet culture tells us that in order to have more worth, in order to be more accepted in our society, that we should be thinner. It's called the thin ideal. A commonly held belief is that thinner is better, and this leads to body dissatisfaction, which is the feeling that you're not satisfied with your body. And 80% of Americans are dissatisfied with their weight. At least 30% of people in the United States have attempted weight loss between three and 10 times in their life. So one third of people have dieted at least three to 10 times in their lifetimes. 
But 75% of women in the U.S. have attempted weight loss at least once in their life. So the majority of people have been on at least one diet in their life, restricting their calories for the purpose of weight loss. What's even more shocking and sobering is that we have found through studies that little girls as young as six are starting to express a desire to lose weight. A six-year-old really should not be thinking about weight loss and the size and shape of their bodies, but that is what we find here in the United States. So that's number one. Diet culture tells us thinner is better. Even if you are in a, quote, normal weight range or a typical weight range, you will be dissatisfied with your body here in the United States. So the number two reason is for health reasons, and I think a lot of this is driven by the health and medical industries, many healthcare providers do connect body size and weight to health. And this leads to weight bias. Weight bias or weight stigma affects people, affects children. And weight bias is defined as negative attitudes towards and beliefs about others because of their weight. These negative attitudes are manifested by stereotypes and are prejudiced towards people with overweight and obesity. But weight bias can be can affect people of all different body sizes. It can affect people that are larger bodied, it can affect smaller bodied people because of this perception that your size is connected to your health status, especially for physicians. And so even people that are on the smaller or leaner side, there can be an assumption that they can't have certain conditions because they're naturally lean, okay? What's even sadder, I guess, than just weight bias is what's called internalized weight bias. And internalized weight bias is that those people that are themselves larger bodied believe that they should be stigmatized for their weight. So they start to believe that, yeah, I'm the problem. I'm bad because I eat a certain way or I am a certain size. And they believe that about themselves. So they internalize. They're biased against themselves and against other larger bodied people. They internalize this belief about their weight and these negative stereotypes. 69% of people who are overweight or obese have experienced discrimination from doctors because of their weight. And those that have internalized weight bias or weight stigma are the most vulnerable to it. And whenever we have these feelings about ourselves, whenever we feel discriminated against for whatever reason, it's stressful. And that stress may lead to behaviors. And in certain cases, those behaviors include emotionally overeating. So that's why some studies have shown that people that are discriminated against because of their weight actually end up gaining more weight in the future. Body shame also promotes weight gain. So if you are feeling ashamed of your body, ashamed of yourself, ashamed of your habits, guess what? You probably end up overeating and choosing foods that are going to cause you to gain more weight. It's like this negative cycle that is just, just a desperation 
So you can see how when we blame people for their weight, tell them that they're the cause of their weight gain, that they're bad, they should feel bad about themselves. They do feel bad about themselves and they soothe themselves by eating. Quote, experiencing weight stigma has been linked to many negative emotional consequences, including depression, anxiety, body dissatisfaction, and in some individuals, increased risk for suicidal ideation. Furthermore, it has been found to adversely affect peer relationships and social bonding among children, academic performance, physical health outcomes, and participation in physical activity. It can also lead to disordered eating behaviors such as binge eating, purging, and the use of diet pills or laxatives. So this number two reason that people often choose to go on a diet because they've been told by a doctor or another healthcare professional and that professional has weight bias or may even discriminate or treat people of certain sizes differently is actually contributing to the issue that they're discriminating against. I mean, like, wow, how twisted is that? Weight discrimination, like I said, is correlated with further weight gain. Those people that experience weight discrimination are seven times more likely to become obese in a four-year follow-up. Wow. So I want you to keep that in mind. Why are we the size that we are? And by we, I mean you and I, as individuals, not as a society. I'm just talking about individuals here. And obviously our individual weights contribute to an average and a typical pattern. But how is the weight of each person determined? So there's several things. There's our genetics. And our genetics don't just affect our metabolic reality, like our biology, but it also affects our habits and behaviors. We have certain behaviors that we exhibit based upon our genetic blueprint, which is fascinating. And now for a very important message. Hey, veggie lover, if you are looking for free resources to guide you on your plant-based and healthy living journey, go to dryami.com forward slash free for tons of free downloadable PDFs. Hundreds of people have taken advantage of my tips to help them reduce meat and dairy consumption, navigate eating out, and build satisfying plant-based meals. Download one or download them all. And don't forget to share with friends and family. DrYami.com forward slash free. And now back to the episode. But then there's also environment. From the reading that I've done and the studies that I've read and my own individual experience, I would say that genetics probably contributes about 75 or 80% of our determined weight and environment 20 to 25%. But genetics is really complicated. The whole thing is really complicated, but so is just the genetics because our genes can be turned off and on based upon some of our life experiences going back to prenatal experiences before we are even born what our mother ate, like what food our mother ate while she was pregnant with us, while she was breastfeeding us. But some studies show that even what our grandmothers ate affect us and our weight and our metabolism. So it's very fascinating. It's very complicated. And like I said, these influences, there's so many different 
points of influence that it's not just a simple thing. And a lot of people try to simplify it by saying it's just mere physics. It's what you put in, what, how much you burn. And so you need to eat less and move more and that kind of thing. But it's really more complicated and more complex than that. There's other experiences prenatally, not just the food our mothers ate, not just the food our grandmothers ate, but the stress that was experienced prenatally, that affects the way that our genes are turned off and on, and other early life experiences. So if a child was under a lot of stress as a young child, whether that was from abuse or other factors that can also affect us. As much as 50 to 70% in the variance in body weight between individuals can be attributed to genetics. And it's so interesting because you may see that there's a family where a lot of the children are very similar body types to their parents, but then there's one that's a very different body type than the rest of the siblings. They all live in the same house. They're all exposed to the same habits. It's not the habits. It is the genetics that's leading to that change in body size. It's really interesting is the studies that they've done in twins and showing that even twins that were raised apart after birth they are very similar in their body weights as adults, even though they were raised in completely different families. So that's very interesting. When we consume energy, when we eat food, our body can do several things with it. It can use it for functions like our metabolic functions, our digestion, our movement, you know, to exercise, to carry things, to lift things. So it can use it. It can turn it into fat or store it as fat, it can turn it into body heat, it can excrete it. There's some calories we don't ever even absorb, and so it just gets excreted, okay? And all of those different functions can be different in different people because of their metabolisms or at different times because of what's going on in their body at the time. And so it's very complex. It's not this simple thing of in and out and these perfect mathematical numbers. So the other thing is our environment. Our growth potential and our body size also depends on our environment because even if you have a more efficient metabolism, your, your biology is more efficient metabolically, if you don't have access to sufficient calories, you may be a certain size, or if you're inefficient and you don't have access to certain calories, you may be super, super lean. Or if you live in the environment that we do now, which is an overabundance of calories rather than calorie scarcity, and you have a very efficient metabolism, then you may end up larger. Or even if you have an overabundance in calories and you have an inefficient metabolism, you may end up smaller. But if you don't have enough calories to begin with, even if you do have an efficient metabolism, your body's gonna be smaller because you just don't have enough energy. In the past, we regularly went through famines. We regularly had to work harder to access calories, but that's just not the case now. The case now is that in the Western world, the majority of people have access to an overabundance of ultra processed foods, which for the body, it's easier to digest and absorb those calories than whole foods. 
And then just to remind you about the motivational triad, which is to avoid pain, seek pleasure, and conserve energy. That is what humans do. That is what's been programmed into us in order to pass down our genes. So the one of the purposes of life is to keep our genes moving forward. And we do that through reproduction. We live long enough to get to reproduction and have our kids live long enough that they can take care of themselves because of the motivational triad. So avoid pain, seek pleasure, conserve energy. And so this is ingrained into our habits and behaviors, but we live in this environment that has an overabundance of ultra processed foods. Another important consideration about our environment is our exposures. So things like chemicals, plastics, all of these things that we don't even know about yet that are affecting our bodies and the size of our bodies, our exposure to prescription drugs, antibiotics, and how that affects our gut bacteria. All of these things can affect our body size. So the size of our body is not just a simple thing. There's genetic components, which are complex. There's environmental components, which are complex. And then there's the interaction between those two. And I just wanted to talk about that because I think a lot of times it is oversimplified and you'll read these dieting books that say, oh, you just got to change this one thing and then you're going to be this magical smaller size and you've been doing everything wrong. And that's really just not the case. So I, I tell you this so that you can give yourself some grace and know that the size of your body is determined by a lot of different factors and it's not because you're a bad person or you've done anything wrong. You were born into this environment and you were born already with predispositions from you know, choices that your ancestors made to the combination of the genetics from your parents and your grandparents, et cetera, et cetera, okay? So let's talk first about food insecurity. And food insecurity is when people don't have access to enough food or they don't have consistent access to food or they don't have consistent access to healthful or nourishing food. And this can happen in places where people don't have access to grocery stores or they're far away, they don't have transportation, or financially they may not have enough resources or funds to have food consistently throughout the month. So food insecurity is actually a risk factor for overweight and obesity. And one study found that children from food insecure households were five times more likely to be obese. So this food insecurity leads to scarcity and it may lead to just inconsistent access to food. So these children may have plenty of food at the beginning of the month, but as the funds are lacking at the end of the month, they may experience times where there's less food or food scarcity. And this food scarcity can trigger overeating when food is available, but it also can lead to restrictive behaviors from their mothers because they're facing this stigma and their shame from their children being overweight and obese. So these children may be facing a true food scarcity, like it's real because there's not enough financial access or physical access to food. But then on top of that, they are facing artificial scarcity from being restricted. 
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Do you have that one piece of clothing you keep going back to, no matter how full your closet is? Having a versatile, high-quality favorite feels great, but having a whole closet of them feels even better. American Giant puts the quality, durability, and comfort they're famous for into everything, from t-shirts and jeans to sweatshirts and jackets, and of course, their legendary best hoodie ever. So you can fill your wardrobe with the pieces that will get you through your spring days. Like the lightweight joggers and pullovers in the French Terry collection, or the rich and polished premium slub crew tee. Whether you're dressing for work, the gym, or happy hour, American Giant makes something that's sure to be your next closet go-to. And it's all made in America and designed to last a lifetime. Find a closet staple for every part of your day at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Promo code staple two zero. Then there's also some research that shows that when people have had scarcity for other reasons, like say for war or times of famine, it can also lead to overeating later. So this is from a book called Why Diets Make Us Fat by Sandra Amott. And this is a quote from this book. Another group of researchers studied Canadian veterans of World War II, comparing those who were captured and then starved against their fellow veterans with equivalent combat experience. About half a century after the war, 45% of the former prisoners said they were moderate or heavy binge eaters compared with 17% of the other veterans. The more weight the prisoners had lost during their captivity, the more likely they were to report binge eating later on. So that's another example of where there was true scarcity. Like these people were not restricting themselves, they were being restricted, and it led to psychological effects and behaviors that were long lasting half a century after the war. So that is a long time. And now for a very important message. Hey mama, if you are feeling frustrated about mealtime battles, worried that your child isn't eating enough or eating enough vegetables, afraid that your child is going to get some awful deficiency or disease because of the lack of diversity in their diet, I wrote a book that might be for you. A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy is available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. Did you know that most children are born with the innate ability to eat the appropriate amount of food to satisfy their hunger and support appropriate growth? Despite this, parents are still anxious and confused about how much and what to feed their children. In addition, many children are labeled as picky eaters or develop behaviors such as hiding and sneaking food. There's also a growing epidemic of dieting behaviors and eating disorders beginning at alarmingly young ages. 
In my book, you'll learn the five pillars of healthy eating, how to apply intuitive eating through all the stages of development, lifestyle habits that support healthy eating and body image, troubleshooting and problem solving for picky eaters, overeating and dieting behaviors, how to create and foster a healthy body image in your children, how exploring your own body image and relationship with food will help raise an intuitive eater, and what foods to offer your child at different stages of development. A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy, available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. Are you ready for a fresh approach to feeding your child? For more information, visit dryami.com forward slash book. And now back to the episode. But then there's this artificial scarcity. And the reason I call it artificial scarcity is that it's self-imposed or it's imposed on somebody else. If you're a parent that's ever put your child on a diet, you are causing artificial scarcity. You are causing a situation where you are restricting them from food, even though food is, is present and available, but you are restricting it. When we do that to our, ourselves, we are telling our brain, you cannot eat this food, even though it's available. So dieting has real consequences. As many as 35% of casual dieters will progress to disordered eating. Okay, 35%, over a third of people who are like, you know what, I think I'm getting a little fluffy. I think I'm gonna put myself on a diet and lose some of this holiday weight. Over a third are going to develop disordered eating. And of those people, of those 35%, 25% of those will go on to develop clinical eating disorders, meaning that they will meet criteria based upon the psychiatric manual that they have an eating disorder, okay? That is, those percentages are really, really high, especially knowing that there are certain eating disorders that have some of the highest rates of suicidality associated with them, like anorexia, okay? So this is real consequences. It could lead to death. Young adults with obesity, are almost four times as likely to have eating disorders or binge eating disorder compared to normative weight peers. But what's even worse than that is that this recurrent dieting can lead to weight gain and more fat storage in the future. So if you have gone on a diet, restricted your calories, and lost a significant amount of weight, when you regain the weight for whatever reason, you will gain fat faster than muscle after the weight loss. Dieting is stressful. If you've ever been on a diet before, you know that it's stressful. And studies show that it can shorten your telomeres. So telomere length is a marker of cellular aging and it can be accelerated by stress. We also know that good things like good habits like meditation can actually lengthen your telomeres. And cellular aging is associated with overall aging. So If you have longer telomeres, it's probably associated with more longevity and more well-being. So to be able to see that people who diet or restrict their food access in order to control their eating have shortened telomeres, that's really significant. Dieters are less likely to be intuitive 
eaters and are more likely to eat emotionally and just overeat from stress and things like that. So they tend to take this all or nothing approach. I'm either being really quote good and restricting myself and keeping my calories really low, or I'm just going to go off the rails and eat everything I see and not stop and, you know, even if I'm feeling uncomfortably full. Long-term dieting is associated with binge eating in susceptible people. And the other thing too is that remember our bodies are smart. Like all of these things that happen when our mothers are carrying us and they're stressed or we are underweight when we're born, all of these little metabolic changes that are happening in our bodies, all these little tiny adjustments, they're done for the sake of survival because your body is trying to help you live long enough so that you can pass down your genes and we can carry on our population, this human species, okay? So our bodies are smart. And what happens is when you lose weight, the more weight you lose, the more efficient your body becomes. Your body doesn't want to lose a lot of weight because weight loss decreases our chances of survival. It's risky. Weight loss is risky because our bodies want to be prepared for that next famine, for that next stressful event that could increase our risk of death and could decrease our chances of passing down our genes. All of these negative consequences, potentially also anxiety, depression, progressing to disordered eating, eating disorders, all of these things can happen when you diet. And remember that by dieting, I mean purposely restricting your calories for the purpose of weight loss. So what should you do or what would I recommend that you do if you feel like you have gotten into some habits of overeating, that you've, you've been indulging a lot during the holidays, you're feeling desperate about yourself, about your body size, you're dissatisfied with yourself. So I recommend taking a deep breath and slowly moving back towards health-promoting habits. Remember, I'm always emphasizing habits and behaviors because it is our habits and behaviors, all of these little choices that we make throughout the day, every day, every week, every month, year after year after year, that's really gonna make the most difference in our well-being, our longevity, and our joy. One of the things I think about when I remember how I used to be in the past when I was a yo-yo dieter and had really high body dissatisfaction and disordered eating is I used to be like the way I was when I first started driving in the snow and ice. So what usually happens if you, you first learn to drive, you're driving in normal conditions, you know, go about your life and then it gets icy And you start slipping and what do you do the first time you experience that? You panic and you overcorrect, right? Because that's what you're used to. You're just like, oh no, I'm slipping this way. I need to overcorrect the other way. And then you end up slipping that way too much and you end up overcorrecting the other way. And then you just get out of control and you can end up spinning out of control. In those cases, 
when you are treading on ice, which might be right now your situation with the holidays, with everything that's been going on in your life, you're feeling stressed, you're not feeling good about your body, you feel yourself slipping, you may be tempted to overcorrect. And that's this all or nothing mentality. So I'm either binge eating all of the Thanksgiving desserts or I'm eating like 800 calories a day of salad and cucumbers, okay? Like all or nothing approach. That is not going to help you get to any sustainable, enjoyable, health-promoting, place in your life that's going to lead to well-being and longevity. So instead of doing this overcorrection, what you do when you slip on the ice is you you just gently lean into it. You take a deep breath and you don't overcorrect. And that's what people that have weight stability over time do. All of us overindulge on Thanksgiving because there's some recipes that we literally make once a year because they take like my husband loves the veganized version of his grandmother's east texas style thanksgiving dressing okay and this like it's like several steps it makes like this gigantic quantity i only make it once per year so he eats a lot of it we are we all overindulge it's part of our culture we emotionally eat on thanksgiving emotionally eat on christmas because we're celebrating, we're enjoying, and that's part of our society, and it's okay. You don't have to overeat, but if you do, it's fine. The next day, you go back to your habits. You get up like it's a normal day again. You don't have to go on a diet the next day. You don't have to put yourself on a fast for five days, please. That is an all or nothing attitude to life. Like you don't have to go on a cleanse just because you overate one day or had some desserts or had some sugar or whatever. So instead, gently just go back to your health promoting habits. And if you feel like you're not in health promoting habits yet, gently start getting yourself into health promoting habits little by little. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. The second thing is, Pay attention to your body. When we do the all or nothing approach and we're eating, either stuffing ourselves beyond comfort or we're starving ourselves to the point of desperation, that is not tuning into your body. I have several episodes on intuitive eating and also my book and of course the Bible, which is the intuitive eating book by Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch. If you don't know about it, look into that. It's really about tuning into your body and moving away from this dieting way of life. Number three, eat more plants and eat less processed food. Again, it's not all or nothing. It doesn't mean never eat a processed food again or that all ultra processed foods are evil and the devil. No, that's not what it means. It means gently steer yourself. Gently start making more choices in that category more plants, less processed food. Number four, have patience. Be consistent. These things take time, okay? So I feel like in the United States, we have like this whole Amazon Prime sort of attitude. Believe me, I shop almost exclusively on Amazon Prime. So I am not one of these Amazon boycotters because It would make my life really not convenient to not shop on Amazon. But habits 
and consistency take time. It's not going to happen in two days. So just be patient with yourself. Stay calm. Stay in a place that feels peaceful, feels sustainable. It should not feel like, like you're gritting your teeth, you're white knuckling it. It shouldn't feel like that. It should feel pleasant. It should feel fun. Be curious, experiment, tweak your habits here and there. Finally, give yourself grace because we're human. And sometimes some of us like me have the habit, very ingrained habit of emotionally eating. If you want to move away from that, it takes time. It's not gonna happen overnight. So whatever you do end up eating emotionally, give yourself grace and then approach it like an experiment. Like, huh, why did that happen? Why did I choose food even though I wasn't hungry because I was stressed or anxious or tired or whatever? Why did I choose food? And in the future, would there be another choice that would feel better for me? And if you want to keep eating food when you're stressed, that's your choice. And it doesn't mean you're a bad person. So I just want to say that as well. Remember that it's really our habits and behaviors that determine our well-being, longevity, and joy. I'm going to do a full episode on health at every size because I feel like it needs its own episode, but I go back to that as well. Habits and behaviors are more important. And there are some changes we can make in our diet. There are changes that we can make in our physical activity that can affect our health markers way faster than weight loss ever could. You know, like you can start making changes in what you're eating. You can start moving your body and that can affect your blood pressure, your cholesterol. It can affect all of these things even faster than losing whatever number of pounds. Okay. So think about that as well. The other thing that you may want to think about if you are feeling bad about yourself, if you're feeling dissatisfied with your weight, if you're feeling remorseful or whatever, which remember food doesn't have to come with these feelings of good or bad and morality and look more into intuitive eating if you're interested in that. But one of the things that can help you start feeling better really quickly is physical activity, getting out for a walk. Going for a hike with your family. If it's snowing where you are, go snowshoeing. Just go outside and, and walk in the beautiful environment and experience nature. Those things can give you some good feeling endorphins right away and can help you feel better about yourself right away. So if you're not in the habit of moving your body in a pleasurable way, not for the purpose of weight loss. Again, this is very important. I call it joyful movement, moving for joy, moving to feel good, moving for well-being, then that's another habit that you can start adopting and tweaking. Sleep is also super important. So during the holidays, we're trying to cram all of these things, all of these activities, celebrations, shopping, on, on and on and on, and we're not getting enough sleep. So when we're sleep deprived, that can affect our habits and behaviors. It can affect our mood. It can cause us to crave foods that are higher in calorie density. So get sleep. Give yourself the gift of sleep. It is so important for our health. It is so important for our mood. And then stress reduction. Again, stressful time of year. We're still in a pandemic. There's still all kinds of things that are changing every day as far as the choices we can make in schools and work, and it's stressful. So finding ways that you can reduce your stress or modulate your stress or cope with your stress is really gonna help you too. 
whether it's meditation, yoga, journaling, going for nature walks, what are things that you can do to help cope with stress or reduce your stress? And then finally, it's really important that all of us, especially if you're interested in this topic, advocate for policy changes, but also be the voice in the room that stands up against the thin ideal in our culture. There's something called fat talk, which is when people, particularly women, get together and start talking about how they need to lose weight. Be the person in the group that redirects the conversation or makes a comment about how, why don't we stop talking about the size of our bodies? Why don't we stop talking about dieting and talk about other things? Let's talk about things that we're grateful for. Let's talk about how we could just eat more health-promoting foods that help us feel better or sleep more or reduce our stress, you know? Be the person in the group that stands up and starts changing and redirecting the conversation away from that. Think about your environment and what you're surrounding yourself with. Right now, the Black Friday deals have started, which means there's going to be all kinds of sales on weight loss programs and weight loss books. If that's triggering you on social media, get off social media. Stop subscribing to the magazines and the programs that are going to continue to affect your body satisfaction and your body image. Unsubscribe to all of those things because that's going to affect you. It's going to affect your children. And also policy changes for improving our environment, improving our access to health-promoting foods and helping people that do have food insecurity, but also changing our environment so that there are access to more health-promoting foods in more eating establishments and that that's just becomes part of our culture to eat more health-promoting foods, eat more plants, move our bodies more, decrease our stress. So finally, I just want to tell you that if you are struggling, I know how you feel. I just, I want you to have grace for yourself, take a deep breath and just gently redirect, okay? Let this be the year the year that you do not go on a crash diet. Try it on for size. See how that feels to just gently redirect your habits. Focus on things that you can control. What kind of things can you change in your habits and behaviors in a positive, health-promoting, and sustainable way, not in an all-or-nothing way? It takes time to learn that. So deep breaths, we can make it through a few more weeks of the holidays before the New Year's resolutions. So just think about it. And I hope that you consider all of these things. I really recommend for those of you that struggle with this and you're just really tempted to go on a calorie restricted diet, read the book, Why Diets Make Us Fat by Sandra Amat. I'll make sure we link it in the show notes. Also, Intuitive Eating by Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch. If you're interested in this as a parent, my book, A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy, and also Health at Every Size by Lindo Bacon. They did change their name from Linda to Lindo. And I wish you the best of luck. I hope you had a plantastic Thanksgiving. You're gearing up for the Christmas season and doing the best you can to take care of yourself and to 
achieve and sustain that well-being, joy, and longevity that you desire. Thank you so much for your attention. I hope that this was helpful. And I will see you again next week where I'm going to start talking about winter squashes. All right, veggie lovers, love you and have a plantastic day. Hey, veggie lover, I hope that you loved today's episode. Will you take a second and do me a huge favor? Please subscribe to my podcast so that you never miss an episode. You're the reason I'm here and I want to share it all with you. Thank you for listening and have a plantastic day. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.